Blaze Radio Network. And now, the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in the things that never change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, On Demand, on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome to each of you happy warriors. Welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where your rabbi reveals how the world really works. Yes, each and every one of you happy warriors, you, you, and you, is a welcome part of our community of happy warriors. Happy? Well, that's because you are someone who has come to understand that happiness is not a reaction, it is a decision. You don't need outside factors to make you happy. You have decided that your default condition for happiness and success is a reasoned, determined, deliberate decision to be happy. And you're also a warrior because you understand that joyful success in life comes from struggling against the natural resistance that in the nature of the world tends to obstruct and resist every step you make in the direction of your self-improvement. I call it spiritual gravity. You try to get airborne, and it tries to keep you earthbound. In every effort you make to improve any one or all of your five F's, it throws up obstacles and temptations. But as a happy warrior, you know that every single victory you win, no matter how small, brings other victories in its wake. And so that's why we are not just warriors and not just happy-go-luckiers, but we are happy warriors. And one of the things that happy warriors realize is that our ability to progress, our very success and our happiness depends upon our ability to impose our own limits on our own freedom. That's right, our own limits on our own freedom. Being able to step off the slippery slide, that seductive ride of freedom, and imposing upon ourselves restraints and restrictions and regulation, that is the direction in which happiness and success lie. Because so many people confuse license with freedom, licentiousness is doing whatever your feeling drags you towards. Freedom is what you have when you are capable of imposing limits and restraints upon your feelings and your emotions. And where that is so particularly important is when you are being carried along by an avalanche of emotions. Coming to trust our emotions is a very dangerous thing. And a happy warrior realizes that emotions are wonderful. We should all have emotions and we should all feel wonderful emotions. We should feel emotions like love and appreciation and gratitude and compassion. We should not indulge in emotions like anger and jealousy and pride. Emotions are real, but we don't regulate our lives on the basis of our emotions. We impose limits and restraints and controls and restrictions rather than just acting on our emotions and doing whatever we feel. 
but even more importantly for today's show, is learning that as bad a mistake as it is to act on our emotions, it is seven orders of magnitude more dangerous to think according to our emotions. The dreadful peril is thinking one is being rational when in reality one's entire line of thinking is being driven by emotions. Please now, happy warrior, for your own good believe this to be true. But if you doubt this, just think about the decisions you yourself have made in your own life while in the grip of emotions like anger, love, desire. Remember the time you decided to spend a lot of money on something you now find you've barely ever used? Remember the person with whom you formed an alliance that you later wish you'd never met? Remember the time you let fly in an angry outburst at someone and you said things you wish you'd never said? Look, that has happened to all of us who have lived anything more than about two decades. And so this particular show... I intend helping you know when your thinking is being shaped by your heart and not your head. I'm going to help you learn to avoid allowing your emotions to cloud your thinking. Most importantly, I'm going to help you identify when it is happening because it is so easy for it to happen. It is so easy for emotions of your heart to overwhelm the rational thoughts of your brain and for you to be blissfully and often tragically unaware of the peril. As an example, I'm going to use the near-universal moral outrage at the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And I am now recording this show in the first week of March in the year 2022. But as usual, it is an evergreen show. Because whether you're listening to it right now while the Russian invasion of Ukraine is still going on, or whether you're going to be listening to it down the road in the future once everything is settled down and all is quiet, and the world's attention has been redirected to the next day's news item, it doesn't matter because the subject of this show is not really Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Although because I'm going to talk a lot about that, It may seem that way, but the subject of the show is really your rabbi teaching you how you can employ the principles of ancient Jewish wisdom to avoid being bamboozled, to make sure you do not get conned, to try and stop yourself getting bilked and duped and deceived, to stop yourself getting gypped and hoodwinked and swindled and ripped off, because all of these things happen when we become vulnerable to our emotions. And so this particular show has homework attached. Uh, It may not be practical. What I would like to say is, look, the beauty of a podcast over a terrestrial radio show is that you cannot stop a radio show while you go take care of other things. If you do, you'll miss, miss a whole lot of material. But um, with a podcast, it's wonderful. You can tap the pause button and go and take care of other affairs. Well, if it were possible, here's what I would give you as homework. Put the show on pause 
and go along and watch a, um, uh, a movie from 1964. It's called Bedtime Story, and um, it was a, a movie set on the French Riviera, and uh, it starred Marlon Brando and David Niven and Shirley Jones. And it's a story about how uh, David Niven and later on Marlon Brando uh, perpetrated confidence tricks on wealthy tourists to the French Riviera. And um, th th that's one third of the homework. The next part of the homework is to watch the movie Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, made in 1988. And that was actually a remake of Bedtime Story, excepting in this case, instead of David Niven and Marlon Brando, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels starred Michael Caine and Steve Martin in those two lead roles, respectively. And then finally, or, or maybe even, maybe this really should have been the first, because this is a classic, this is a 1973 movie called The Sting. And uh, it is, it's set back in, in the 1930s, but it was a, a very clever film showing how Paul Newman and Robert Redford uh, are two highly effective confidence tricksters and how they con uh, a mob boss, a very dangerous and threatening mob boss called Robert Shaw. And you're pretty much kept guessing throughout the movie, and, uh, and you're, you're kept guessing all the way through to the very end. In all of these movies, you watch how people get conned. You get to see how people um, believe what they want to believe, and the results that that produces. And so, um, if you are going to make sure that from now onwards, as a happy warrior, you are not going to be scammed, and you're not going to be ripped off, and you're not going to be tricked, swindled, hoodwinked, gypped, or finessed, or duped, or deceived, none of these things are going to happen to you. And I don't mean that you're going to fall victim to Michael Caine, or David Niven, or uh, Robert Redford, um, but even buying into advertising campaigns. You know, even, even that's a part of it. Uh, there is a giant um, personal care product company called Unilever. Uh, it's, it's a British-based company, I think, but they own products like uh, Sun Silk Shampoo and uh, Vaseline. But one of their biggest products is the Dove line. Dove, right? Soaps and so on. And um, nine years ago, back in early February or so of 2013, Dove released a, an advertising campaign that became viral. It became so influential that I cannot even begin to imagine how many women were deceived and duped and hoodwinked and bilked, beguiled and bamboozled um, into buying Dove products. 
What did they do? It was, it was actually, uh, it was very clever. Uh, what they did is they hired a very competent portrait artist. And then they selected uh, what they believed to be a group of sort of representative middle-aged women around the United States. And then they asked the artist to draw a picture of each woman based on his conversation with her. He would ask her what what her best feature was. He'd ask her to describe her jaw and her face and her eyes and her hair. And and he, he came up with a picture. And it's fascinating to watch, by the way. I mean, this this was a very, very clever ad campaign. And part of the cleverest part of it is that you barely know it's an advertising campaign, which when you come to think of it, if you did my homework of watching those three con movies, you realize that the key thing about a con is that um, the person who's being conned mustn't realize he's being conned. As a matter of fact, ideally, he shouldn't even know till the very end. And at the very end, it would be good if he's able to tell himself that he wasn't conned because he doesn't want to do anything about it. And these women uh, who, who purchase Dove products and who love the brand Dove because of this campaign have been most effectively conned. And I want you happy warriors to understand and learn how this all works so you can become somewhat immune. I want to help you learn the questions you must ask yourself. I want you to learn the techniques of rising beyond the control of your emotions. So it's you controlling your emotions and not your emotions controlling you. And uh, the artist then spoke to um, friends of each woman and asked them to describe the woman. So you see he ends up with two portraits of each woman. One portrait is based on how the woman sees herself and the other one is based on how her friends see her. And would you believe that every picture of each woman that was based on descriptions of her friends resulted in a more realistic and and nicer looking woman than the picture based on the woman describing herself. And so the whole thing, the whole idea of the campaign is you are more beautiful than you think you are. Which I mean, it's 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 a it's a great message. It's it's incredible, and very seductive, playing on the emotions, and you can actually watch and see how these women talking to the artist, for all the world, they look like women in a therapy session. They're talking to a very calm, um, nice man. Who, who lets them talk about their background, and he asks them questions. And, and the women say, I, you know, one woman speaks about how she didn't get the emotional support from her father when she was little. And then she, oh, and my mother also, I didn't get... And listen, who doesn't like talking about themselves? Anyway, uh, the whole thing, of course, the whole thing is a con. And, um, and the pictures came out exactly the way the advertising firm and the Dove company wanted them to come out in order to convey the message of you are more beautiful than you think you are. And this, uh, this was launched nine years ago, early in 2013, and it took off and it became the most famous thing. 
and um, I haven't even I haven't even thought about it for the last nine years until I was preparing today's show and uh, realized that it's an excellent example of how people are really and and that's all of us by the way you know don't think I'm immune I'm a happy warrior and and I've worked on the exercises and I've worked on the techniques of trying to become less susceptible to the uh, the pressures of the con whether it's in advertising or or in many other areas as well uh, where we where we want to believe certain things but you got to remember your happiness and your success depend on you being able to apply limits to your own freedom. And, um, and that is part of what it means to be a happy warrior. In all the five areas, your five F's, in, in your faith, right? in your finances, in your family matters, and in your uh, uh, fitness, and in your friendships, in all of these areas, we are capable of being seduced emotionally. And it really is important in order to become a successful, happy warrior. It's important to be able to realize how to work this. And, and you need to be able to do it in all the five areas. And the reason for that is because if you, and, and some of you may have already gone to my website at rabbidaniellappin.com, and you might have uh, downloaded the free ebook called The Holistic You. And if so, you'll be aware of the fact that I like laying these out, these five F's on a circle, and connecting them all up with lines. So as everyone understands that your finances, yes, they're impacted by your faith and your friendships and your fitness and your family, and so it is with each one. And in the very middle of the circle, I have the word shalem, which is the Hebrew word for wholeness, completion, totality. And the reason for that is because it is by working on all five F's that it becomes possible to build an integrated life of completion and totality. And it's, it's very interesting that, uh, that the concept of shalem, you might, the, some of you may be aware of the Hebrew word for peace, shalom, and you might have heard that the consonants there are the same. There's an SH sound, followed by an L sound, followed by an M like Mary sound, shalem or shalom. And uh, vowels in Hebrew are much less important for reasons that I've discussed in earlier shows. And, um, and so why would peace have the same word as completion and totality? And here's the interesting thing. Uh, understanding Hebrew words, right? there's a reason that people call it the Lord's language. Understanding Hebrew words really can lead you to a deep understanding of how the world really works and how to most effectively function as a happy warrior.
And this word, shalem, is a very good example of that. Because if you think about it, uh, peace, people very often make peace uh, the be-all and end-all. Uh, we've got to stop the fighting. There must be peace. We've got to have peace. Oh, if only I could have world peace. That makes me sound like a Miss Universe or Miss World or Miss USA contestant, doesn't it? Um, but you've got to remember that uh, peace is a very dangerous word if you don't tie it in to completion and totality. Because if peace becomes your overriding value, then that's another way of saying surrender. Because if somebody threatens peace, uh, threatens the peace by threatening a fight, and you're not willing to fight because you believe in peace, well, then you may as well simply walk around with a white flag of surrender. So let me give you an example uh, that is one of many similar kinds of examples that I give you in a wonderful book that Mrs. Lappin and I created for you called Buried Treasure, Life Lessons from the Lord's Language. And uh, we examine more than two dozen critical, important Hebrew words. And needless to say, this book is for the English-speaking person, not the Hebrew speaker. But we can all benefit from the wisdom inherent in the Lord's language. And one of the things I point out is, uh, you know, what happens if, if you come home and you find somebody camped in your living room? He broke a window, got into your house, and he's rolled out his sleeping bag in your living room. He put a fire in the fireplace, and he's roasting hot dogs on your fire. You walk in there, and... Um, you're shocked, but he holds up his hand and he says, Peace, brother, I know you believe in peace and I believe in peace. There's no reason for us to fight. Meanwhile, you're struggling to try to decide whether you should get your baseball bat or your 357 Magnum Smith & Wesson Model 686 revolver. And um, meanwhile, he says, Hey, listen, we can, we can resolve this peacefully, right? There's no reason for us to fight. Now, if your understanding of peace is just the word peace, do you see what a disadvantage you're, you're at here? I mean, what are you going to do? You know, start up with your baseball bat? I mean, he's, he's sounding reasonable. He just wants peace. No, the correct answer, if you're a happy warrior who understands these things, then your response is, hey, uh, I also want peace. But you see, the word peace I believe in is the Hebrew word shalom, which has within it also the word shalem, which means totality and completion. And that means that you have to, first of all, restore the status quo before you start it up. You've got to get out of this house right now. And then we can talk about peace. Maybe we'll talk about the broken window. They'll, there's much we can talk about. But first of all, I have to be complete. Right? And what you've done is you've eroded my completion by taking over half of my living room. Now isn't the time to talk peace, because peace can only be a result of completion and totality. You might be beginning to see why this discussion is going to impact on Russia and Ukraine. But... We will still come to that.
for now, I just want you to know that there's yet a third meaning to the word shalom, and that is payment. And why is that? Well, again, it's the same thing. When uh, um, imagine a lady walks into a shoe store and buys a pair of shoes, and she's about to walk out with the shoes. And the storekeeper says, hold on a second, we don't have completion here. We don't have peace here. We don't have totality. She says, why not? I got my shoes. He says, yes, but for this transaction to be complete, you have to pay me still. And she says, oh, all right, fine. You know, and she pulls out a credit card, and now there's peace. Now there's completion. Now there's totality. And, um, and this is just one out of, out of about 30 different words that are examined carefully in our book, Buried Treasure. So I want you to go to our website at rabbidaniellappin.com, go to the store, and uh, take a look at the book, Buried Treasure, which you can either buy in... In, in hard form, in which case it will get mailed to you, or it can be downloaded as an ebook right now, which is beautiful, and you will be able to wrap yourself around these principles that are so important in becoming a happy and effective happy warrior. So uh, don't hesitate, rabbidaniellappin.com, over to the store, and uh, take a look at Buried Treasure, Life Lessons for the Lord's Language, just for you. And uh, while you are at RabbiDanielLappin.com, you might also want to make sure that you bring me joy by becoming part of our community, becoming a member of the Happy Warriors community. And uh, you can do that with a, a basic membership, and uh, it comes with all kinds of advantages for all of us. Uh, a larger community means more encouragement, more strengthening of one another, more helping one another, because our goal is to make sure that happy warriors are able to be in touch with one another because they see the world the same way. Happy warriors realize that what distinguishes us are not materialistic and physical distinctions such as are part of the Marxist vision of race, gender, and class. No. What distinguishes us is whether or not we are happy warriors. And if we are happy warriors... We have happy warriors of every race and every nationality. We have happy warriors of both genders, male and female. <laughs> you thought I was going to say of every gender, didn't you? No, of both genders. And we have happy warriors of every possible economic bracket. But uh, the secret of happy warriors, well, it's really the secret of completion, totality, full integration. And as I said, the, the book, The Holistic You, is available for free on the website. And uh, you can explore becoming a member, joining. And it is absolutely worthwhile. The modest commitment on your part 
that it takes to become part of the Happy Warrior community. I encourage it, and I enthusiastically recommend it. And um, the part of being a happy warrior that I'm focusing on today is the part that we are doing everything possible to avoid being susceptible to being bamboozled and gypped and duped and hoodwinked and bilked because we are going to learn how to, well, I'm not going to say be suspicious because one doesn't want to go through life being a suspicious kind of a person, but being cautious and being prudent and knowing what to look out for. And so I can't think of a better uh, map on which to depict the secrets of how to achieve this critical ability of the happy warrior than the current uh, political and military drama taking place in Russia and Ukraine. But more particularly, I want to focus on what you think about it, and I want you to start asking yourself, why do I think that way? Now, I mean, obviously, it goes without saying that there is an emotional element. The thought that there are people on the receiving end of uh, bombs and on the receiving end of bullets and on the receiving end of fires and invasion forces, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's horrible. It goes without saying. But whether or not you believe that everything must be done to get Russia out of Ukraine. And if you believe that in a modern civilized world of liberal values, we cannot have nations extending their borders by invasion. And if you believe that it is appropriate that President Biden sends $10 billion of aid to Ukraine. And if you believe that it's appropriate uh, for Lindsey Graham, a senator in the United States Senate, to say that this can only end with President Putin being assassinated. Essentially, Lindsey Graham uh, encouraged the assassination of President Putin. And, uh, and if you agree that, uh, as, as one American lawmaker did, that America must insist on setting a no-fly zone over Ukraine so as that United States fighters will be sent to shoot down any Russian planes over Ukraine. If you believe all of that, then I'm not going to discuss now whether you should or you shouldn't, and I'm not going to tell you what you should or shouldn't think or believe over Ukraine. You will probably um, discover my own thoughts about it, but that's not the point. The point is, I want you to explore in your own heart whether or not you have been subjected to a, an advertising campaign, a propaganda campaign, to encourage you through the power of emotion to believe one way rather than another. That's the task that lies ahead of us for the remainder of this program, and thereafter, 
for you to apply in your own evaluation, not only of this, but of all other things. Whether you're thinking of buying a house or a car, or whether you're thinking of proposing marriage to a young lady if you're a man, or if you are a woman who is contemplating a matrimonial alliance, you need to be able to analyze it without being subject to the con, without being victimized and vulnerable to the brilliantly designed pressures that can be applied to you. And you have to know that you and I do not stand a chance when an expert gets to work on us. Whether that expert is a highly skilled sales professional, whether that expert is an advertising specialist, or whether that expert is a con man, you've got to know that anybody who has really honed and polished his craft is better at those things than you are and I am. And that makes it even all the more important that the topic of today's Rabbi Daniel Lappin show is something you absorb into yourself and make a part of your arsenal as you work to enlarge, expand, and grow your five Fs, your faith and your family and your friendships and your finances and your fitness. I hope, I hope that you will see in that spirit why it is and what it is I'm going to be telling you now about Ukraine. The first thing I'm going to say is that you always need to try and understand what are the motivations of the other side. Now, if the person on the other side is a, a car dealership trying to sell you a car, well, then it's pretty straightforward and pretty obvious. Right? They're looking to sell part of their inventory, and so you get that. And, uh, and it's important to keep that in mind as well while you're involved in the negotiations. But I'm going to focus on Ukraine because in the last little while, in the last few months, shall I say, I don't think there is a better example of mass indoctrination of an entire people. The, most, the next most recent case I'd have to, to look at is COVID. Now, you'll remember that way back in the uh, spring of 20, uh, 20, uh, 2021, was it? Um, you will remember, no, 2020. You'll remember that I told you then already that deaths from COVID were being dramatically exaggerated. Well, it's now becoming accepted. It's now known and understood that when you incentivize hospitals uh, by giving them more money if they list deaths as COVID, then you're going to get more of that behavior. This is fairly standard in every area. If you incentivize a group of people financially to act in a certain way, they will. And so uh, the way uh, Americans were conned into believing that masks, wearing masks, is important. Uh, the way Americans still believe, many Americans still believe that getting on an airplane, you must wear a mask. Well, you have to because the federal government requires it and airlines uh, jubilantly embrace it. Um, but believing that that actually helps with the transmission of COVID, 
that was the last case of mass uh, hypnosis, in a way, of mass indoctrination, where millions of people were made to believe something. But I didn't want to talk about COVID again, because it's kind of, we've been talking about that a lot over the last two years. And so I thought I'd pick on Ukraine, particularly since uh, it's like almost across the board. Whatever newspaper you open, whatever television program you turn on, wherever you go on the internet, oh, wait a moment, that's exactly what indoctrination means. And that's exactly what the media have been part of. But wait, we've got to ask ourselves, who gains what? Why is there a benefit in conveying the picture to Americans that the entire Ukraine imbroglio is a picture of brave, valorous, valorous, defiant, democracy-loving Ukrainian patriot heroes defying the evil Slavic hordes of the Russian Empire and that we love democracy and that we must help support democracy in Europe. This has been really effectively communicated. And so, who benefits from this? In other words, if, uh, right, maybe it's all true, but I'm saying let's examine it. Let's ask ourselves, in a way I want you to get used to as a happy warrior, asking yourself questions on almost every decision, where you don't just slide down the roller coaster of your emotions, up the hill, down the hill, up and down, yes, no. No, you learn to impose restrictions, restraints, regulations, and limits on the freedoms we have of allowing our emotions to run amok. And there is a very strong tendency to be impacted by the crowd. Um, I have spoken in, in an earlier show, I've spoken about some of the wonderfully clever mid-20th century psychology experiments conducted by Solomon Ash, the psychologist, showing how people are enormously influenced by what other people do. A great deal of advertising functions like that. And um, people are very shaped by what their friends and associates and what they perceive as other people to be doing. We're all influenced by that. And so everybody, huge parts of the American population, buying into this notion that, um, yes, uh, we have to fight for democracy. And $10 billion, really? $10 billion in a country that is struggling with a dreadful debt load in a country that is beset by crippling levels of inflation and $10 billion to Ukraine? Why? Why not to many other countries that have also been invaded lately? Countries in Africa. What about them? Why is Ukraine a special case? Well, does anybody remember the name of a leading American politician who in the Biden, excuse me, in the Obama administration between 2008 and 2016 was not only put in charge of Ukrainian policy, but whose family was being paid 
mil tens of millions of dollars from Ukraine. You might remember the son of this politician. His name was Hunter, is Hunter, who with no particular abilities or skills or knowledge or experience was being paid a million dollars a month, all from Ukraine. That politician's name was Biden, and he is now president. That's very interesting indeed. And, um, okay, but, well, what what's going on? Well, I don't know what's going on. I'm just a ordinary happy warrior, just like you. But I am asking questions that need to be asked before I throw myself emotionally head over heels into this fantastic and, uh, and, and uh, uh, overwhelming emotional uh, snow cascade uh, into throwing my emotional lot in with Ukraine. So one thing I look at is, uh, is the money. Um, the second thing um, I look at are some of the other people who were involved then during the Obama period 2008 and 2016, um, people like Victoria Newland. Yes, she is the daughter of Ukrainian immigrants to the United States. She served in the Obama administration, and she's now involved in the Biden administration. Susan Rice, there's another name, and several other people. So that uh, makes me a little bit suspicious, particularly since I think back and I say, wait a moment. In 2014, there was a regime change in the Ukraine. The Ukraine was a pro-Russian government and conditions were peaceful and calm and tranquil between Russia and Ukraine. In 2014, Victoria Newland, in, uh, accompanied with some of her European Union colleagues and other people in the American State Department, engineered a coup. That's right. They engineered a coup to change the government in Ukraine from the pro-Russian government that had existed there to a um, anti-Russian government. Um, so, uh, by the way, what I'm telling you now uh, leaked, and um, uh, there was a 2014, late January 2014, there was a conversation uh, between Victoria Newland, who was President Obama's chief um, officer overseeing uh, the change of government that America wanted to take place in Ukraine from uh, from the pro-Russian government to a, an anti-Russian government. And this was uploaded to YouTube on the 4th of February 2014. And that is uh, available. Anyone can hear it. And you will see how America, my own country, was deeply involved in the overthrowing of Ukraine's president, Viktor Yanukovych. You might remember him. And, um, and he was replaced with Yatsenyuk, who was basically appointed by the Obama administration. Um, there was a February, a late fe month later, there was a February phone call also uh, between the uh, foreign minister of the European Union and uh, people in the Ukraine uh, connected with the United States 
State Department, and, and these phone calls were leaked. I mean, it's really not hard to discover that America was deeply involved in the replacing of a pro-Russian government in Ukraine with a, um, uh, an anti-Russian government. Well, what's that got to do with anything? Well, let me explain, because we're not done yet. What would you say is the, the biggest problem uh, facing President uh, Joe Biden's hopes to be re-elected in 2022, excuse me, in 2024? What is the biggest problem facing Democratic lawmakers who come up for election in November of 2022? Their biggest concern right now are the dreadfully low uh, ratings that President Biden enjoys, lowest in history. Uh, it is also the fact that America has a very serious inflation problem. It's that America has an out-of-control southern border into which um, aliens are streaming in by the million and um, finally, the mushrooming crime statistics around the United States of America. And so if you're a, uh, President Biden and you are Democratic lawmakers who hope to be reelected to their comfy positions in November 2022, then you are really unhappy about inflation figures, particularly since there's no sign that they're going to be getting much better. You are really unhappy about the so-called supply chain problems, which result in great difficulty in people being able to buy anything, um, the inability to obtain chips and, and cars as a result of that. Um, you are really bothered by the growing crime. You are really bothered by the immigration mess. And so you need to do whatever you can to, you want to see local political news driven off the front page, would you not? Now, there's an old tradition for this. There's a 1998 movie called Wag the Dog, Dustin Hoffman and Robert De Niro. And uh, the movie was about a president who, in order to drive the information about his sexual scandal off the front page, he engineers a, a war with Albania or, or some other obscure Balkan country, and it worked beautifully. Now, the funny thing is that by the sheerest, just good fortune, that movie came out around uh, about the same time that uh, devastating information on um, President Clinton and the intern, the young female intern Monica Lewinsky emerged. And President Clinton organized a bombing raid on what he claimed to be a terrorist facility in the Sudan, but which turned out to be a pharmaceutical factory. And, uh, and for days and days, the information about Monica Lewinsky and a certain dress was pushed off the front page by all the news of this military adventure in faraway Africa. And then uh, only a little while later, a few months later, uh, the President Clinton was impeached, and there was an impeachment hearing, and the trial was going on, and this was very uncomfortable for the President, and again, uh, it was a midterm election for Congress, 
And the Congress were very, those who were up for election were very bothered by this. This was, was going to be very bad for the Democrats. And so um, President Clinton launched a war in Serbia, bombing Belgrade. And the idea was, once again, which worked beautifully, exactly what the movie, uh, the, uh, the um, uh, Wag the Dog, was all about. And so uh, who has to gain from uh, provoking a war and having a war between Russia and Ukraine? Why? Democratic uh, elected representatives and the uh, the Biden White House. They have a great deal to gain because, you know, if you're the president or, or, or you're a, uh, uh, an eager Democratic representative, opening your newspaper the last few months has not been fun. The news has all been negative. Things have not been looking good. And to now open your newspaper and discover, we in America are standing up for democracy and we are helping the dogged, determined, brave Ukrainian patriots against the great evil Russia. The other thing that's good about this is that um, you don't have to be doing anything about China because it's quite clear that not only uh, national professional sports uh, but also entertainment and politics are very much in the pay of China. Right? The, the details haven't yet come out fully, but there is enough information to know that through the university system, through uh, sports and entertainment, China is buying an enormous amount of influence. And so uh, the Biden administration... Uh, by the way, who are the people who are purchasing his son Hunter Biden's artworks? <laughs> I don't even have to talk about that. Yes, that's right, Chinese, but mysterious Chinese buyers. And so to make Russia the evil guy, instead of focusing on the real threat to the United States of America, which of course is the uh, people, People's Republic of China, uh, this is very convenient. So uh, lesson one then is... Take a look and see who gains from this. You know, what are the benefits? And then uh, once you see that, hey, wait a second, there are really some pretty good reasons that may have nothing whatsoever to do with the truth, but there are some pretty good reasons as to why people are doing what they're doing. And I'm using today uh, the Ukrainian situation as a good example of this process that I want every happy warrior to learn to apply to decision making. And so, you know, using this example, if you've got to decide whether you are for the Ukrainians and you don't mind what it costs we have to defend Ukraine and Russia is the wrong, evil, bad guys, and if that's uh, the approach you want to take, then you need to exercise restraint and limit and ask yourself, number one, who gains? Number two, let's take a, a more careful examination of some of the facts before we make clear decisions. All right, well, uh, one of the facts is that there is a border in the world between the two most populous nations that are in disagreement with one another on almost everything. 
not only political philosophy, but issues having to do with Tibet and issues having to do with trade and issues having to do with all kinds of things. The two nations are China and India. Now, I wonder if you've noticed that there have been negligible incidents on the Chinese-Indian border. No major incursions, no invasions, um, no uh, nothing. Any idea why that might be? China and India don't like each other. Chinese and Indians are not keen on each other. How come there's not been constant fighting on those borders? I'll give you a clue. The clue starts with the letter H. Got it? The Himalaya Mountains. That's right. The border between China and India runs basically along the ridge of the Himalayan Mountains. And for those of you who are not familiar with the topology of the Himalayas, let me just put it this way. Nobody is driving tanks over the Himalayan Mountains anytime soon. Nobody is walking over the mountains. Nobody is driving trucks over those mountains. Not happening. <laughs> All right. Now I want to tell you about another border. This border is the western border of Russia. And here I need you to put the show on pause while you go and look at a map of this part of Europe. And what you'll discover is that the vastness of Russia and the vastness of Europe join through a narrow neck. There's a narrow neck of flat land between Russia and Germany and uh, other European countries. And this narrow neck is bordered by the Baltic Sea in the north and by the Black Sea in the south. And if you look at a topological map, you'll discover that this flat, narrow piece of land between Russia and Europe is very flat. It's one of the reasons, oh, and the, the, I should tell you the two nations that occupy this flat land, that's right, Poland and Ukraine. Now, there is a reason that Poland, since the year 900, Poland has had hundreds of major battles fought on its landscape. Hundreds. Why? Well, I mean, for heaven's sake, even, even Sweden launched an attack over Poland um, because it's flat. And um, if Russia wants to move to Europe, they've got to go through Poland and Ukraine. And if Germany wants to invade Russia, they've got to go through Poland and Ukraine, just as they did in, uh, on June the 21st, 1941, June 22nd, 1941. And uh, when uh, Napoleon wanted to move from France into Russia in the year 1812, well, he had to go through Poland and Ukraine. And so uh, there is a very interesting thing that's going on here. Remember that Poland and Ukraine used to be part of the USSR, the Soviet Republic. And as the Soviet Republic began to come to an end in 89 and 90 and 91, uh, one of the questions was, what was going to happen? Was Germany going to uh, reunite? And uh, was Russia going to go along with that? 
and uh, what was going to happen to the many countries like Lithuania and Latvia and Estonia who used to be part of the USSR. So there were lots and lots of negotiations there. And uh, President Clinton at the time, you'll remember President Clinton uh, was president from 1991 in 92 until the year 2000 when um, George Bush won uh, the election with the help of the United States Supreme Court. And um, from that period, 92 to 2000, was the period that the Soviet Union was unraveling. Secretary of State at the time was Warren Christopher, and um, they were trying to get the American ideal vision of a post-Soviet Europe into place, and that um, required for Germany to be united, which was a huge thing at the time. I mean, East Germany had been part of the Soviet Empire, and um, America and the European Union were very keen on Germany being reunited, and um, one of the essential features of this whole discussion was what would happen to Poland and Ukraine. And there were other concerns as well, Hungary, for, for instance. But the main concern is Poland and Ukraine, from Russia's point of view, because those are the nations that are right on the Russian border and that are the uh, throughway for any attack on uh, the, so on, on, on Russia. And so uh, what then happened was that America essentially, and I say essentially because there was some skullduggery involved, basically America, uh, look, I'm, I'm not happy telling you all this stuff, but America has not been well governed for a long time now. And one of the things that happened was that um, America tried to have it both ways. They tried to make a commitment to um, Gorbachev and later to Yeltsin, head of Russia, uh, that NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, the military defense treaty of Western Europe, would not move closer to Russia. In other words, the dissolution of the Soviet Union would not mean that NATO would move closer to Russia's borders. And there is no question whatsoever that America in 94 issued a memorandum which clearly gave Russia the understanding that NATO would never include Ukraine and Poland. Now that's really, really important because if NATO steps into Ukraine and Poland, then NATO has the right to install missiles, air bases, and military uh, bases right on the border of Russia. And so for, um, for a very, very long time, Russia has always seen that narrow stretch of flat land between the Baltic and the Black Seas, the, the, the land now occupied by Poland and Ukraine, as a very necessary buffer. And that's why Russia has always been comfortable as long as the governments um, of Ukraine and Poland do not become anti-Russian. And so uh, what did America do? Sadly and tragically, I wish it weren't so, 
America, first of all, engineered a, uh, the Obama administration engineered a coup in, uh, in Ukraine um, to, to get uh, rid of the pro-Russian government um, and to replace it with a, an American um, uh, head of government by the name of Yatsenyuk, you might remember. And this was a coup that was engineered, and all of a sudden, an anti-Russian government is on U in Ukraine on Russia's borders. Now, um, let me read to you from um, President Putin's speech, if I can. Uh, this was a speech he made on the declaration of war. And says uh, President Putin, this was his speech on February the 24th, 2022. Um, Citizens of Russia, friends, I consider it necessary today to speak again about the tragic events in Donbass and the key aspects of ensuring the security of Russia. I will begin with what I said in my address in February 21. I spoke about our biggest concerns and worries and about the fundamental threats which irresponsible Western politicians created for Russia consistently, rudely, and unceremoniously from year to year. I'm referring to the eastward expansion of NATO, which is moving its military infrastructure ever closer to the Russian border. It is a fact that over the past 30 years, we have been patiently trying to come to an agreement with the leading NATO countries regarding the principles of equal and indivisible security in Europe. So it's important to understand this. But I will also tell you that people like Henry Kissinger, and even more important than Henry Kissinger, a very amazing um, American diplomat, a man by the name of George Kennan, George Frost Kennan, uh, who for many, many years was one of the most important diplomats with anything having to do with Russia. And um, listen to some of the things he said over many, many years already. And I've been fascinated by this um, American diplomat, George Kennan, because he really uh, had a good ability to see things that hadn't yet come to pass. I'm not using the word prophecy because it's not a case of prophecy, uh, it's wisdom. And so um, in, um, uh, in New York, in October 1996, when all this drama is going on, remember Poland joins NATO in 99, which is a huge problem. 96, um, they're talking about uh, Ukraine becoming part of NATO. So George Kennan... Um, publicly says in October 96 at an event held at Columbia University, he says the efforts to expand NATO to the east towards Russia is a strategic blunder of potentially epic proportions. Um, he did an article in the New York Times, February the 5th, 1997. It's a fascinating piece. Um, and he says, I'm writing this piece to caution American politicians that expanding NATO to the east would be the most fateful error of American policy in the entire post-Cold War era. And, um, uh, and, and Kennan said that Russia's obvious reaction to the uh, wave of NATO expansion has to be a, a problem. Uh, after Poland and Hungary and the Czech Republic uh, you know, became part of, of NATO. Then they started talking about Romania and Slovakia and Bulgaria, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia. And uh, this, from the Russian point of view, is um, 
is violating an agreement from 94, as they see it, and uh, what's more, is a, an existential threat to their existence. And that's not crazy, by the way. That's not crazy, because if you think about how America reacted to um, the uh, Russians putting missiles in Cuba, right, and you can be quite sure newspapers there said President Kennedy is threatening the peace of the world. Nuclear war could result. And yet President Kennedy didn't blink. We cannot sit still while you put missiles in easy range of our country. You can't, we can't do it. And so uh, perhaps it is possible to look at the situation now and say, you know what? Russia also can't sit quiet while NATO expands contrary to initial agreements into um, uh, Ukraine, into Poland and Ukraine. Um, George Kennan wrote a, um, a, published a book called The Kennan Diaries, came out uh, about six or seven years ago. And in it, he wrote, the Russians will not react wisely and moderately to the decision of NATO to extend its boundaries to the Russian frontier. Um, he said, uh, the NATO expansion to the east is the greatest mistake of the entire post-Cold War period. It is senseless and a colossal blunder. These are really important things. Now, um, remember I, I told you that in 2014, America engineered a coup to take away Ukraine's pro-Russian government, with which Putin was very comfortable, and to replace it with a, an anti-Russian government. And, um, you know, and again, so I, I'm, I'm saying, hey, wait a moment, before I jump to the conclusion that these are heroic, democracy-loving Ukrainians minding their own business when all of a sudden they were attacked by the Slavic bear, I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not ready to jump on that emotional bandwagon yet. Because... It seems that um, that's not the whole picture. And so what is uh, what else happens? Well, uh, the pro-Russian um, government in Ukraine gets replaced by an anti-Russian government in Ukraine. And uh, one of the things, and then, of course, Russia, to secure its interests, locks down its access to its only uh, warm water port at Sevastopol in the Crimea, south of Ukraine, um, all other Russian ports freeze over in the winter. And, uh, and don't forget, you know, for hundreds and hundreds of years, that was a Russian port. And so uh, Putin makes sure that they continue to have access to the Crimea and to Sevastopol. Um, the new anti-Russian government in Ukraine then shuts down the water supply to the Crimea and to the hundreds of thousands of people in Sevastopol. What's the story here? Again, I don't know if you know about this, but if you are going to make decisions, don't go with just the emotions. You've got to look at the facts, even if they can sometimes be uncomfortable. You see, back in the 1950s, Stalin built a huge canal to bring vast volumes of water from the Dnieper River um, south into um, the uh, southern parts of the Ukraine and all the way through the Crimea to Sevastopol. And so the naval port in Sevastopol, the city of Sevastopol, and all the people in that part 
of uh, of the world would have access to water because otherwise the, the water was a problem well guess what the new you pro-American, anti-Russian Ukrainian government did in 2014. They built a huge concrete dam across the canal and turned off the water to um, the Crimea and Sebastopol. Did you know that? I didn't. But before I decided, before I was ready to throw my emotional self into the side of Ukraine against the evil Russians, I looked at it and this comes out, and so I'm, I'm giving you this as an example, right? I'm not interested in, happy warriors are not necessarily about the politics, although our lives are impacted by politics, we need to know what's going on, but it's about making the right decisions in every aspect of your life, and that means looking at facts that are not being shared. The media is not telling the story, but it's not hard to find out what I've just been telling you. And so the, uh, uh, the water supply for a number of years to Russians living in that part of the Crimea turned off, plain and simple, turned off. The, um, the invasion takes place, and um, what happens there? Well, 24th of February... The uh, invasion begins, and um, the very first thing, on the very first day, what happens? The first day of the Russian invasion, Russian troops established control over this canal. It's called the North Crimean Canal. And within a day or two, they had blown up the concrete dam, and um, the... Uh, uh, and a message went that the supply of water from the Dnieper River uh, has been restored and water is flowing again the way it always used to. Now, this is an important thing. And so, coupled, coupled with the fact that um, the uh, expansion of NATO, which meant missiles, Western missiles on the Russian border, Plus the water thing, well, that's already beginning to, to change the perspective a little bit for me. And let's remember, there's a very solid reason why uh, President Putin wants to make sure that he doesn't have hostile forces in Poland and Ukraine. Because in just the last 500 years, Russia's been invaded quite a few times from the West. The Poles came across this plain, this flat area of land I told you about. They came in 1605. I told you the Swedes came uh, in 1707. The French under Napoleon in 1812. Uh, the Germans twice in both world wars in 1914 and 1941. So, and we're talking about a narrow plain, by the way. We're talking about 300 miles. That's all. Um, and it's... Um, it, this is is a really really important place and it's it's much more threatening to russia than cuba is to the united states in terms of distance so you know america is very happy that zelensky vladimir vladimir zelensky is pro western pro american but why what have we got to gain and so I also say what vital national interests of America are protected by 
being connected with Ukraine. There is no treaty requiring America to defend Ukraine. And so we have to ask ourselves, why is the Biden administration, along with their willing dupes in the media, so willing to rile up America for war to the point where somebody who is supposed to be a sane statesman, a United States senator like Lindsey Graham, can make an unbelievably stupid and asinine comment that, suggesting that Putin needs to be assassinated. I mean, how, how on earth would he have reacted if, um, if Russia would have said, you know, that an American president needs to be assassinated? It would be dismissed as outrageous and irresponsible. But what on earth is going on here? I suggest the possibility that we are all being indoctrinated and that we're not being told that back in 1990, at the very beginning of 1990, February as a matter of fact, um, the United States made the Soviets an offer. And you can look to this day, you can look at transcripts of meetings that took place in Moscow in the February of that year. The Secretary of State then was James Baker, you'll remember, and um, he said that uh, in exchange for unification of Germany and Russia's agreement on that, the United States would make ironclad guarantees, that I'm quoting the exact words from the agreement, that NATO would not expand one inch eastward. Less than a week later, uh, Gorbachev agreed to begin reunification talks with Germany, and Gorbachev has written of this on the basis of the not one inch eastwards. NATO will not expand one inch eastwards. We told them that, friends. And it's, it's kind of nice to keep your word. So um, it's, it's perfectly obvious that, uh, I mean, you don't have to work hard to discover that Gorbachev acceded to Germany becoming part of the West, provided the U.S. would limit NATO's expansion to the East. And that's that's exactly what happened. That's how it went. And so not only do I ask myself, who has most to gain from this uh, driving of the fever of the American people, goading us into uh, supporting Ukraine in their war against Russia? Um, I, I'm not only aware of exactly who benefits by... Uh, the way this war has seems like, wouldn't you agree, since the Russian invasion of Ukraine, COVID has been cured, uh, inflation is gone, uh, immigration, illegal immigration in the United States, not an issue, crime all solved, because you're certainly not seeing any news about that stuff on the pages. Um, I, I totally get that. And I mean, it's really interesting that... Uh, one of the phrases that I keep hearing is, oh, in this new modern times, countries should not be able to expand their borders by, uh, by invasion. We've got to stop this. That's why we've got to teach Russia a lesson. But the funny thing is, though, that um, you know, the whole manifest destiny in America was expanding our territory through conquest. Uh, even Hawaii became part of America relatively recently. And in more modern times, I mean, even since the Vietnam War, where America was projecting its power uh, across half the world, um, in the 1950s, 
America-backed NASA um, and uh, uh, the overthrowing of the British-backed Iraqi government in 1958, um, the 1967 war with Israel, um, the uh, 1950s, America helped depose the government of, uh, of Iran on behalf of the Shah of Iran, which, who then became a pro-American leader. Uh, in 2003, the invasion of Iraq, all right, and we undoubtedly left there, leaving the country worse than when we'd started. I won't even talk about Afghanistan. In 2011, uh, we went, went into Libya and drove Gaddafi from power. Since that time, the country's fallen apart. Um, 25,000 people died in a civil war there. Uh, slave markets were introduced to the region for the first time. And, um, and so it's very, very focused. No, it's our outrage at Russia acting militarily in its own interests seems to be very much, well, let's just say we, we haven't got a history of applying the same rule to America as we're applying right now to Russia. And so I'm, I'm just thinking that maybe uh, we're not being told the whole truth here. And maybe our smart move in terms of America's national interests are to stay out of this. It's nothing to do with America. And it serves only one group of people for this uh, war song to be played on the trumpets in order to get Americans all riled up to such an extent, by the way, that I've heard recently that there are a number of young Americans uh, going over to Europe to volunteer to fight in the Ukraine. I mean, what, what is this? It's like an insanity. It's literally a mass hysteria like COVID that has taken over the country. And uh, again, Happy warriors need to think about things like this. Uh, now, let me make it clear. If any individuals want to go to Ukraine or any individuals want to send their charity money to, God bless you. I mean, you know, they're, 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 there are people suffering there and they can do with I have no problem with that. I have a problem with the United States government using our tax money confiscated from us and sending $10 billion. I have trouble with America sending military hardware uh, which we can ill afford, given how much we left behind in Afghanistan, I have a trouble with all of those things. And I'm not even discussing whether President Putin is a moral paragon of virtue or whether Gaddafi, who was certainly no gentleman, I'm not talking about whether these were nice guys or not nice guys. A country has to act in its own national interest. And when you hear your governments starting to talk about, we have to act morally and we have to defend the democracy. These are really, really dangerous terms that are being thrown around and uh, no good whatsoever can come from them. It's also, uh, I've spoken about this in the past, and that is there's a great deal of silliness going on here as well. Because if, if you really are serious about Russia being the bad person, that bad player who needs to be controlled, then don't you think that you would have paid attention already to the whole issue of energy? And you wouldn't have let Germany and other parts of Europe become 100% dependent on Russian energy? Don't you think that maybe if this is really true, 
and that this is not not just a uh, an arbitrary and capricious decision on the part of the Biden administration in order to drive bad news off the front page, it's sort of a wag the dog story, then don't you think this should have been part of a consistent multi-year strategy? And part of that means that uh, you don't let the West and NATO countries be dependent on Russian oil, surely. And I think it's, it's probably helpful for you to to uh, to be aware of the numbers because this is very very serious stuff in other words as a happy warrior learn to look at numbers learn to look at numerical facts and that sometimes helps you triumph over the emotional pull that you're experiencing so listen in 2016 right 2016 um 30% of the natural gas consumed by the European Union came from Russia. By 2021, it was nearly 50%. It went from 30%, in other words, natural gas energy, very, very important. Uh, from 2016 to 2021, it went from 30% to 50%. That's how dependent they are on Russia. It's incredibly important. Remember that... Um, Germany has turned off all its nuclear power stations. The last three went off. England's been shutting down nuclear power stations. Meanwhile, you've got to know, again, just take a pen and paper and just write down that Europe produces three and a half million barrels of oil a day. They consume 15 million barrels of oil a day. You got that? They, they produce three and a half million barrels. They use 15 million barrels a day. Where do you think the balance comes from? Europe produces 230 billion cubic meters of natural gas. They consume nearly 600, more than twice that amount. Where does the balance come from? Comes from Russia. That's exactly right. Because Russia produces 11 million barrels of oil a day, but only uses 3 million. And Russia produces 700 billion cubic meters of gas a year, but only uses 400 billion. They sell the rest to Europe. If Russia is really this enormous threat to world peace, and if Russia is frightening children with the threat of nuclear annihilation, then don't you think we should have done something up till now? If this is true, then don't you think that maybe something should have been done to make sure that Russia was not able to build up such a huge cash surplus by selling that amount of energy to the rest of Europe every year? No. Russia was never a problem. Russia's now like Hitler. Russia's going to not stop till they've eaten up the whole of you. You know, this sort of hysteria, I mean, really? Right? I don't, I'm not a prophet. I don't know what's going to happen down the road. But it makes perfect sense to me that under the circumstances, uh, Putin has to do something about Ukraine. I get that. It's no different from what America has done and would do if Russia, imagine Russia, or imagine China were to set up an anti-American pro-Chinese government in Mexico, and then China was going to start building military bases in Mexico. What do you think America would do? That's really the analogy. So, uh, my dear friends, you happy warriors, the website is rabbidaniellappin.com. 
Go along and download or buy yourself a copy of Buried Treasure, Life Lessons from the Lord's Language, and expand your arsenal of tools for improving your five Fs. Make sure you become part of the community of happy warriors. I watch the numbers of our community grow with a very warm feeling in my tummy. I enjoy watching those numbers expand, and you are part of that. And so our growing community of happy warriors, become a member again at the website rabbidaniellappin.com, and that way you will be able to join us. Thank you very much for being part of today's show. And remember that the show is not really about Ukraine and Russia. The show is really about learning to immunize yourself against emotional avalanches that are launched at you by various players who may not necessarily have your interests at heart. Building your defenses makes it easier for you to become an ever more successful and an ever happier, happy warrior. Thank you for being part of the show. Thanks for helping tell people about the show and promote the show. It's wonderful. You're doing a great job, and I appreciate that. And I wish you, until we're together again next week, a week of excitement and passion and growth in your families and in your faith, in your finance, in your fitness, and in your friendships. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless. Stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.